episode of Scuttlebutt, the official podcast of the National Museum of the Surface Navy. I'm Marianne Fangler, usually the producer here, and I'm flying solo to introduce today's podcast. Back on Veterans Day, we held a ceremony that was Veterans Celebrating Veterans, and our keynote speaker was Judge Eileen Moore. Judge Moore spoke about Vietnam veterans, and the examples she gave and the points she made were so fascinating and thought-provoking that we thought we should bring them to you. So here is her speech in its entirety. Please enjoy. I know we sure did. Good morning, everyone, and happy Veterans Day. I have been asked to speak about Vietnam veterans. Any of you Vietnam veterans? So that's what I'm going to do. I'll I'll just go right into it. When our soldiers left to go to Vietnam, America was one place. But when they returned, it was something quite different. When the uh, Vietnam War started, hula hoops and the Mickey Mouse Club had just lost their popularity, and Barbie dolls and American Bandstand were at the nation's center stage. Women copied Jackie Kennedy's pillbox hats. Families put their kids in pajamas, and they, uh, the whole gang went off to drive-in movies on the weekends. Soldiers and sailors walking along in uniform were a familiar and welcome sight in America's neighborhoods. However, change was in the air. The post-World War II babies were teenagers and young adults in the 1960s, and they were a force to be reckoned with. Plus, Betty Friedan wrote her book, The Feminine Mystique, and the women's liberation movement took off. Thank goodness. The civil rights movement was at its height when the war was at its worst. Anti-war protesters shouted, hey, hey, LBJ, how many kids you killed a day? Bumper stickers read, want to take a trip to far off places, meet exotic people and kill them? Sit-ins, freedom rides, and other political actions were common. Dr. Timothy Leary told America's youth to turn on, tune in, and drop out on LSD. The Beatles were in the country. Miniskirts arrived and girdles were tossed. Yes, I wore a girdle all the way through high school. There was no jiggling then. In 1965, Congress passed the Immigration and Nationality Act, eliminating the immigration system that had been in force since 1924, which heavily favored uh, immigration from European countries, thus adding to the civil rights and women's liberation movements, as well as uh, protests, demonstrations, anti-war rallies, sit-ins for every uh, other social change, was an influx of people from cultures from all over the Eastern Hemisphere. America did not look the same anymore. Cultural understanding and tolerance at levels never required during earlier times were suddenly required of of Americans if they were to adhere to their core democratic values. Numerous United States Supreme Court cases resulted in major changes in the existing order. Examples are the restrictive covenant cases such as known as Shelley versus Kramer that voided the routine restrictions based on race and and religion that prevented people from buying homes where they wanted to live. 
Gideon versus Rain White required the public to pay for lawyers for poor people accused of committing felonies. Loving versus Virginia threw out statutes th that uh, banned interracial marriage. Despite the fact that the resulting changes were healthy, the period when the change was taking place was difficult for many. I think the American people confused the massive transformations and unrest going on in our society at the time with the Vietnam War. Virtually everything in American society was changing during the Vietnam era. And the public as a whole tended to blame the changes and uncertainties on the war and on our soldiers. Our forces returning from Vietnam were not greeted with an open arm. Somewhere along the line, patriot became a four-letter word. Soldiers were subjected to taunts on public streets. There were no parades. People spit on them in airports. In fact, more than once when we were in Iraq, I found myself wondering how our Vietnam vets feel <clears throat> when they saw more current vets being applauded and praised as they walked through the airports. Vietnam vets were not welcomed by many ch chapters of the traditional veterans organizations, such as the American Legions and Veterans of Foreign Wars, and were often shunned by veterans of World War II and Korea. Thus, Vietnam vets formed their own organization. The motto of Vietnam Veterans of America is, never again will one generation of veterans abandon another. While serving as a combat nurse in Vietnam at the 85th Evacuation Hospital in Quinh Yan, I realized that dying so far away from home was the biggest fear of our boys. Our soldiers in Vietnam only wanted to remember the America of their dreams, their, their girls, their mothers, and apple pie. When they opened their eyes in a hospital, not a building, but a, a tent or a Quonset hut, to see an American nurse standing next to them, relief flooded their faces. Sometimes tears came to their eyes. All they knew was that a part of America was beside them, taking care of them. Wherever they were, they felt safe. Often a hand would drift up to touch our faces, I think to make sure we were really there. When we, they were told that they lost an arm or a leg or an eye, the first words out of their mouth was usually, were usually about home, about America. Charlie can't get me now, I'm going home, was a typical proclamation. To a certain extent, today's event represents the parade our Vietnam vets never got when they came home. Ours is a wonderful country. I think Americans realize they made a mistake. They learned a big lesson. <clears throat> that even when we hate a war, we can still love our warriors. Today I'm going to tell you about three Vietnam vets whose paths I have crossed. What they have in common is that their service for our country during the Vietnam War dictated much of the way they spent the rest of their lives. The first person I want to tell you about is Diane Carlson Evans. I had read about Diane, but I didn't meet her until 2018. Diane came home from serving as a combat nurse in Vietnam and never shed a tear. Her default format was, tell nobody, feel nothing, 
risked nothing. Then she went to Washington, D.C. for the dedication of the wall on Veterans Day 1982. As she read the names on the wall, thinking, who of you died on my watch? I'm sorry we couldn't save you. She heard someone say, ma'am, were you a nurse in Vietnam? The man gulped and looked nervous, saying in a quivering voice, I've waited 14 years to say that to a nurse, <clears throat> but I never came across one until now. I can't thank you nurses enough. I love you. He then buried her in a smoldering hug. That's when she began healing. Diane noticed that except for the eight nurses who died in Vietnam, whose names are on the wall, there was no indication that women served in the war. <clears throat> there were women nurses, doctors, intelligence officers, burial officers, Red Cross volunteers, and many others who served. No one mentioned the 10,000 women who served in Vietnam during the speeches when the wall was dedicated. The three soldiers statue that is next to the wall was of three men. Diane pondered the notion of a monument for the women who served in Vietnam. She first contacted the Vietnam Veterans Memorial Foundation, the group responsible for the wall and the three soldiers statue. She told the head man about her idea and said, we'd love to have your support. His response, well, that will never happen, and he hung up on her. I won't go into all the details, but I will try to give you an idea of what she did. She drafted her four children to help write letters and lick stamps. The American Nurses Association donated a small space in its Washington, D.C. headquarters but she started receiving uh, phone calls and voicemails. Who do you think you are? Forget about adding a statue for women. One statue was enough. One time, when she was having some copies made, the clerk said to her, you one of them feminazis? When she went to the National Convention of the Veterans of Foreign Wars, the VFW, to ask for support, its members such, said such things as, you Vietnam vets are all alike. You lost your war. You shamed America. Five years into her endeavor, Diane and two other nurses were to appear before the Commission of Fine Arts, whose approval is required for anything that goes on the national wall. Strategically timing the article, that very morning, the art critic for the Washington Post wrote a column criticizing the design of the statue and adding that the three soldiers statue of the men was enough. The New York Times and the Boston Globe ran similar articles. Secretary of the Navy Jim Webb wrote to the commission that all these interest groups want statues, including the Canine Corps. Four out of five members of the Commission of Fine Arts voted against permitting a statute statue commemorating the women who served in Vietnam. Months after that, Diane received a telephone call. The woman said, I'm calling on behalf of Morley Safer. 60 Minutes is, is exploring the possibility of doing a segment on the nurses' fight 
to get a memorial. That segment, The Forgotten Nurses, ran in 1989. Americans around the country wrote letters and sent donations to Diane. Families of nurses who committed suicide wrote to encourage her to continue. Diane's mailman claimed, complained that he needed to get a bigger bag. Shortly thereafter, President George H.W. Bush signed legislation specifically authorizing the placement of a memorial to, to honor women of the armed forces of the United States who served in the Republic of Vietnam. On Veterans Day, November 11, 1993, almost 11 years after she began, Diane Carlson Evans spoke at the dedication of the three nurses statue that is near the wall and the three soldiers statue in the National Mall. She began her speech, welcome home daughters of America, welcome home my sister veterans, let no one ever forget you again and what you did for this nation. It was at the 25th anniversary of the statue that I met her at the statue on November 11th, 2018. The second Vietnam veteran I want to tell you about is Lee Robbins. I've never met him in person, but we've had significant letter and email exchanges. This is how it all happened. Around 2010, I was asked to write an article for VVA the Veteran, the national publication for Vietnam Veterans of America. My article was about California's veterans treatment courts. After the article ran, I started receiving letters from Vietnam veterans incarcerated in California prisons. I answered each of them. It was either in 2014 or 2015 that the Vietnam vets incarcerated in Soledad prison asked me to speak there on Memorial Day. My husband and I traveled to the prison, which is in the middle of nowhere, deep inside Monterey County. What an experience that was. The warden had given the vets permission to set up a veteran's office there at the prison and the Soledad vets were able to help veterans in all the California prisons. They were given a phone, a fax machine, a copy machine. And what an exquisitely sad scene it was to watch all those incarcerated Vietnam veterans as our flag was taken down the center of the gymnasium where the Memorial Day event took place. They all stood and half had their hands on their hearts and the other half assumed a military salute. After that occasion, word <clears throat> got out within the prisons that I was there and that my committee had worked with the parole board to permit volunteer lawyers to assist Vietnam vets who were denied parole. In 2017, I received a letter from Lee Robbins who was in Folsom Prison, which is about 20 miles north of Sacramento. Mr. Robbins said he had been sentenced to life in prison for aiding and abetting a murder and been, had been denied parole five times. He wanted help. I wrote back, Dear Mr. Robbins, you find yourself in a pretty rotten situation. It is sad for me to see a fellow Vietnam vet in prison for life. I told him I would try to find a volunteer. In the war, Lee Robbins was based in Chu Lai, from 1969 to 1970. He served 
in a combat aviation unit as a crew chief on a helicopter. His unit was tasked with recovering down aircraft and was involved with numerous firefights. During one mission, he and his crew were trying to remove the bodies of two Air Force pilots when they were attacked. For more than four hours, Lee Robbins and his crew were engaged in a gun battle. They were finally extracted by a medevac, taken back to Chulai, given a swig of Jim Bean, and sent out on another mission the next day, and the next day, and the next day. A retired judge, Judge Jim Jackman, represented Mr. Robbins at his sixth parole hearing. Sitting judges are not permitted to practice law in California. The problem was that the parole board wanted Lee Robbins to acknowledge his crime, and he wouldn't acknowledge it because he insisted he had nothing to do with the murder. Oh, and by the way, Mr. Robbins had declined to have a lawyer represent him at his trial. He represented himself and was sentenced to life in prison. Spending thousands of dollars of his own money for travel and investigation, Judge Jackman dug into the piles of transcripts and documents and found that the prosecutor at the trial had an eyewitness place Mr. Robbins at the scene of the murder, but the coroner's report stated the victim died four and a half hours after the witness saw him there. Judge Jackman was able to convince the parole board that Mr. Robbins' denial of committing the crime was at least plausible. That sixth time around, Mr. Robbins was released on parole. Oh, and another thing. The VA will not go into prisons to treat our veterans. The VA would not diagnose or treat Lee Robbins' PTSD until after he spent 30 years in prison. He was found to be 100% disabled due to his post-traumatic stress disorder incurred while serving our country. After his release, I asked him to drop me a line from time to time. This is a little of what he wrote. I was completely unprepared for the new technology, phones, computers, and of course the internet. Driving was bad before I went in, but it's gotten much worse. I've had trouble sleeping. I was conditioned to sleep with the lights on for so many years that now I need a nightlight to sleep. It is so strange to walk up to a door and open it. I was so used to going to the door and waiting for the guard to open it. I no longer have the nightmares of waking up thinking I am still in my cell or that parole agents came, come to my door telling me there was a mistake. Today, Mr. Robbins spends his days assisting other veterans who are transitioning out of prison and into the free world. It was at the dedication of the Vietnam War Memorial with its two soldiers statue in Westminster, California on Veterans Day 2003 that I first had the privilege of meeting the third Vietnam vet I want to tell you about, John Baca. John Baca was drafted into the Army on February 26, 1969, and not long thereafter went to Vietnam. On the morning of February 10, 1970, after being in the bush for almost a month, his unit returned to base. They were supposed to have a few days rest, but that very afternoon they were helicoptered to a target area 
to assist an eight-man patrol team that had come under heavy fire. John led his team through a hail of enemy fire to where his besieged comrades were. He had just set up his recoilless rifle when a grenade landed close by. He would later remember thinking, do I pick it up? Do I run? What he did do was rip off his helmet, put it over the grenade, and then cover it with his body. The grenade exploded. His lieutenant, John Dotson, lay down next to him and removed the burning metal from John's abdomen and legs. To give you an idea of how young these soldiers are, the ones that we send off to fight our wars, as he was being carried away, watching his intestines poking out of his uniform, John Baca wondered whether his mother would be angry with him for doing what he did. For his actions, President Richard Nixon presented John Baca with the Medal of Honor in June 1971. His citation reads, his gallant action and total disregard for his personal well-being directly saved eight men from certain serious injury or death. The extraordinary courage and selflessness displayed by Spec 4 Baca at the risk of his life are in the highest traditions of the military service and reflect great credit on him, his unit, and the United States Army. He was also awarded the Silver Star, Bronze Star, Purple Heart, and Air Medal. But the part of his military service John Baca is most proud is not the event that resulted in his receiving the Medal of Honor. It was another incident in Vietnam. It happened on Christmas Day, 1969. John was walking ahead of his unit, acting as point, and was surprised to see, find a young North Vietnamese soldier sitting alone on the top of an enemy bunker in the jungle. He saw that the soldier could not reach his rifle quickly, and not wanting to shoot him, yelled in Vietnamese for him to surrender. The North Vietnamese soldier did surrender, and then the two young soldiers sat down side by side and proceeded to show each other their family photographs. John was proud that he was able to take his prisoner alive and unharmed. As the prisoner was flown away in a helicopter, he called down to John, you number one GI, you number one GI. 20 years later, John returned to Vietnam to help build a medical clinic in a village not far from Hanoi. There he met up uh, with that North Vietnamese soldier. And for two months, the two of them labored side by side building that clinic. During the years after I first met John Baca, he was always accompanied by Jojo, a black standard poodle. Jojo usually carried a stuffed toy in his mouth. Due to his injuries, John has been plagued with seizures. Jojo was able to de detect an aura before a seizure and would place himself across John's chest, lightly hit John with his paw, and prevent the seizures from going into a grand mal state. Jojo died on February 20th, 2020. Since then, John's anti-seizure medication had to be increased because Jojo 
hasn't been there to protect him. Two public parks have been named after John Baca. One is in Huntington Beach in Orange County, and the other is in Linda Vista in San Diego County. John Baca's original Medal of Honor is on the USS Yorktown in South Carolina with the Medal of Honor Society. His duplicate medal is at the, at the Balboa Naval Hospital, where he was treated for two years after coming home. What can we learn from these three Vietnam vets besides the fact that their service in Vietnam dictated much of the rest of their lives? Well, from Diane Carlson Evans' story, I think we can assume that at least for some, healing from psychological war maladies has something to do with the public's recognition of the sacrifice our service members make. If you happen to go back to Washington, D.C., you will see that statue of the three nurses tending the wounded soldier. When you do, please understand that that monument of thanks from the public was the beginning of healing for many of the women who served in Vietnam. So far as Lee Robbins goes, perhaps we should examine more than the crime committed and consider whether or not <clears throat> we should do something for our are returning veterans other than discarding them by tossing them in prison. Their sacrifices to protect us should at least deserve our treating their PTSD and other psychological injuries before we throw them away. On that note, please consider speaking with your elected representatives in Congress. They are the ones who approve regulations the VA passes. For the VA to refuse to give treatment to incarcerated veterans when it is the VA who has the persons most knowledgeable about such conditions as PTSD, traumatic brain injury, and military sexual trauma within its ranks is not the American way. Then there's John Baca. There's so much we can learn from him. But perhaps the most important thing to ponder is his relationship with Jojo. When John's injuries threatened him the most, Jojo was able to smother him with love and bring him back to a healthy state. Maybe we should be doing for all our returning veterans exactly what Jojo did for John Baca, smothering them with love to bring them back to a healthy state. Thank you for the honor of being able to address you on this very special day.